welcome to the Tech Story Podcast, where storytellers kibitz about technology that makes us go, hmm, what's that about? Now introducing your host, Doug Thompson. Hi, and welcome to this two-episode talk with Bob Ferguson. I get to talk to an actual rocket scientist. How often do you get to do that? But he's an engineer at heart. In fact, we talk about this cool device he made for uh, doing videos with uh, a can and some rocks and some other things. <laughs> True engineer at heart. He even survived a break in the recording. I had to go and do something, so he, he hung with me during that. He's also still waiting to see the culmination of his work he did on some rocket separations. He's, you know, how do you deal with waiting six years to see success? And then some of the biggest failures in history. Uh, our communication and also the most expensive is miscommunication. Breaking things, you know, lets you know what you've got in reserves. So he liked designing things and, you know, would break them on occasion uh, and let you know it had in reserve. And it's much like the inner voice that we have in our head that tells us, hey, we can't do this. Uh, we underestimate our capabilities. And we have just a great discussion. So enjoy this two part episode with Mr. Bob Ferguson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Story Podcast. I am honored to have an engineer's engineer uh, storytelling. This is just like the ultimate person I want to be when I grow up. So, Bob Ferguson, <laughs> how are you doing this morning, Bob? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thanks, Doug. Well, I know it's morning here, but it's afternoon where you are. So, we'll, we'll, I'll share. I'll have coffee and you can have tea. But um, All right. Yeah, I, that's tell- good. Yeah, I've, I've got a cup of here. So, cheers. Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> before we get into who you are, we were... Just talking, just before we came on, uh, Bob's got this great camera action going on, and I, I made the assumption, forgetting that he's an engineer, that he bought something for the camera, and then he's telling me how he designed it, and it's a, it's, anyway, I'll put, I'll put a post, I'll put a picture of the post in the uh, in the show notes, but it's wonderful. I forget who I'm talking to. So tell me, when you're not designing new camera things, I bet you make your wife really irritated at things about making things around the house. Yeah, I, uh, the thing about engineers is that we understand that uh, right first time doesn't really exist. And so the important <laughs> thing is to get a prototype working so that you can find out what you really want. And, and I think people, particularly in studios now, now we're on this high tech uh, personal studio at home, mm-hmm. can spend a fortune on kit. But I personally prefer to get some simple bolts and nuts and threads and put stuff together and see how it works and then i know what i want and if in the end it means i buy something special for it that's fine but at least i know i'm buying the right thing and people buy lots of pieces of equipment and then they find three months down the road they're not using them and they've just wasted that money so i like to develop prototypes and build on the prototype and then when i've got what i want then i'll decide how to do the permanent version you know i'm sad to say i've done a couple of those things i i I brought a gimbal which i've maybe used four times um you know and even if i bought something sometimes it'll have some duct tape or something to make it just right because it's not not just right. I love that mindset that comes. So, so tell us your, a little bit about your backstory, and then we'll get into more nerdery. Okay. Well, I, I started off as a mechanical engineer, and I migrated my way, I suppose, into aerospace engineering. But I had, a, a as the first 20 years of my career, were just fantastic. It was like playing with boys' toys. So I got to work on major airframes, a lot of the Airbus aircraft, uh, which of course are dominant here in Europe. 
wind turbines, undercarriages, uh, air-to-air weapons. So they, they really were, it was just a great career to play with these mechanical toys. And we went through the test phase, the design and the test phase. And I loved all that. But when that came to an end, I settled in the space industry, which was another fantastic chunk of career. I had 20 years in there uh, working mainly on deep space work. So I worked on Bepi Colombo, which is on its way to Mercury right now. It's got another five years to go to get there. And on the last ExoMars rover, which is due for launch in 2022. And those were, were absolutely fabulous. But somewhere along the course, I realized that public speaking skills were going to be important in a career. And mainly because I detested public speaking, I would do almost anything to avoid it. And I used to sit through some of the most boring presentations you've ever seen. I, I kid you not, two rows, so many people attended these meetings. There were two rows of chairs around the table. And after lunch, I guarantee the back row were asleep always. They just turned up for the lunch, I think. And they were, these were the days of viewfoils and overheads. We didn't have these whizzy projectors that you have nowadays. And I could see that this was just a dire standard, but I didn't particularly want to do anything about it. And then just by happen chance, I ended up getting invited to a meeting of Toastmasters International, which I'm sure you know well in America. In this country, it tends to get confused with the red-coated Master of Ceremonies but it's a public speaking and leadership development organization. And once I realized that I could do this, this thing, it all seemed a bit absurd, all the fears I'd had before. And then it, it took off for me as a different career, I suppose. It was an extra string to my bow, but I found that once I got used to it, I loved it. I used to enter the competitions and I was quite successful in those. And that just, spurred me on but I think the success I had in the competitions led to people coming to ask me for advice so then over perhaps a 15-year period my consultancy and coaching work built up and when I finally saw the opportunity to duck out and do it full-time I took it and that's what I do now I tend to work mainly with technical experts to help them communicate in the workplace and get their message over. So the space, one of the things that came up, you know, as an engineer, I imagine you like to sort of see your product or end product in use and how successful it was. How do you, because you mentioned the last thing you're on, still got five more years before it gets to where it's going. How do you temper that patience to wait for the payoff? Well, you get intermediate signs of success anyway, because after we've designed it, we know what performance we want from the pieces of equipment and they go through a rigorous test program before they ever get launched. So we see it in several phases. In the design phase, you'll have some test articles to prove the concept and make sure it works. And quite often it works, but it never works perfectly. And so you'll go back into the design and say, well, we want to improve this bit and, and, and tweak it. And then you get your true test items, which are the ones that are going to prove what you're going to launch. And they go through the test program. So you get to see their performance and know they're working properly. And then, of course, it, when they get rubber stamped, you make the flight components. And then the flight components go through a test program to make sure they're just as perfect. And then they go on to the spacecraft. So 
we already know that those things perform here but in Bepi Colombo's case it's a spacecraft built of three modules which are connected together and the bits that I worked on are the ones that hold the three parts together and they hold them together during launch so we already know it's worked and it's done that bit but it cruises for six years to get to Mercury and when it gets there they're going to press the button and the three bits have to separate so I can tell you in five years time, I'll be sat here with everything crossed while they press the button yeah. to make sure the three bits go where they're meant to. But, but also that longer term gives you excitement to build to as well. Um, if you look at the space uh, world now, the news in the space world now, there's 18 days until the American, the NASA Mars lander gets there mm -hmm. and starts its descent onto mars so already you can feel the excitement build that there's only 18 days to go before they hit what they call their seven minutes of terror as they yeah. come from outside through the atmosphere and land on mars well i know we, we've had some disappointments and missions in the past things disappear and that that's the thing you know you can't plan for every little comet or meteor or whatever comes around so sometimes you're at the no. at the will of the universe uh, it gets well, a vote <laughs> interesting you should mention that because some of the failures are really successes we learn an awful lot from them mm -hmm. and i think if you watch elon musk launch his rocket which he had what i think he called was a premature disassembly <laughs> uh, when it came That's back marketing. down uh, they got huge amounts of data out mm -hmm. of those so those uh, launches are successes they just don't do everything that we would like them to do but sometimes those failures come down to poor communication, which is where you and I mm -hmm. come in, how we get the message over. But it, one of the particular missions uh, to Mars, which I think was about 1988, was it? Perhaps somewhere around there. It failed because one of the people manufacturing it was working in feet and inches and pounds. Mm -hmm. And the other group working on the mission were working in the metric system and it, it led to minor discrepancies yeah. which were hard to see in the data but didn't get picked up uh, and the mission failed as a result of that yeah so you do get these failures due to miscommunication sometimes you know that's, that's i mean you look at apollo 13 we had different contractors doing things and things didn't work i mean the, the movie was was pretty amazing but but you mean in, in this the failure it's a lot like everything in life is that I've learned more from the times that I've, I've failed or something not sometimes you know failures is different different perspectives you only fail if you don't get up and learn anything from it um, but but uh, these things that don't work out as you'd planned I've learned more about those especially when it comes to communication than you know I, I find that when I'm talking to somebody or trying to tell a story that if it doesn't land right. I learn more about how I could tweak it or is it, you know, what, what is in there rather than if it lands well, because yeah. sometimes you don't know if, if it lands well, because you, you, you match that you found that magic where it matches and they perfectly understand, or they're the people in the back row after lunch that, you know, fell asleep. Yeah. It's all always difficult. I mean, that sort of situation when it's after lunch is uh, <laughs> the graveyard. Slot, oh yeah. That's like yeah. Call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's always much tougher anyway mm -hmm. but 
reading the audience is a part of communicating. We think of communicating as going out from us, writing our message, getting our message. But probably the most important phase you do is the scoping phase and the understanding of the stakeholders and the audience and all the people involved in this and how they're going to hear your message and what's, what it's going to mean to them. And that does more to customise your speaking successfully than ever what your writing does. Yeah, and you may have hit upon um, exactly the, the the point of, of you know from the tech story, the technical people again, as you as you have in your your headline on LinkedIn, um, is that trying to give them the why that they, this is important and how to do this because I find you know technical they're very intelligent. It has yeah, nothing yeah. with intelligence; it's ability. How do you then translate that to where you can interact with a human, which is a, it, it's a squishy enterprise at best. You know, yeah. but but I think you hit upon a plan in, is that because you have all these variables that you pull in, you know, how do you approach your audience to get to understand? That is a very engineering mindset. Yes, perhaps so. I mean, <laughs> it's been ingrained in me now, Doug. So yeah, well, you, you and I, I don't know what is engineering, what's yeah. nature and what's nurture. But in one sense, the very intelligence and brightness of technical experts is a problem for them because they because they had, have a lot of information they want to give a lot of information and they feel they don't haven't done their job properly unless they've given you all the information mm -hmm. but in fact they need to flip the communication upside down and start with the bare bones so they mm -hmm. give people just a glimpse of what's on offer and then let the audience drive how deep they go mm -hmm rather than start to work out how much they're going to tell them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because as I listen to people that haven't had any training or they come to me that really want some, they, they're very bright. But And you listen to them talk to other engineers, which, okay, those are long conversations, and they go on, and they're very detailed, and you know that's the way that they do things. They both feel, com they feel comfortable doing that. But when you're trying to, uh, and Jules White, is a, you know, she introduced us, and with yeah. the sales piece of that, you're usually talking to people that don't, that understand they have different things. They're marketers. They're these other things that that you need to, as you say, position it in a slightly different way or, or start from the bottom up. Here's this other thing, and here's why it's important. And getting them to think that how do you start? You know, how do you start that way? And 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 you know, is that in your engagement with the leaders? Is that sort of the approach that you're taking? Yeah. What. What I think technical experts have to do is learn to tease their audience. And, and if you want to know what I mean by teasing, you just have to watch soap operas. Soap operas are brilliant at it. They have a storyline and the storyline may last um, several shows. But what they do is they show you a part of it and then they tease you and say, ah, but something's about to happen. And then they stop. And everyone's got, oh, I've got to watch the next episode to find out what happens. And, and it's teasing the audience. As a technical expert, they should give people a glimpse of what's available mm -hmm. and say, well, there is more, but I'll only share it if you want it yeah. and see what happens. Because if the audience isn't interested, it's not worth sharing. Mm -hmm. But if the audience are interested, they'll definitely come back with a question. Well, don't, don't stop there. Tell us the rest. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what they're doing is giving you permission to tell more of the, your story and if you do it that way then it builds people's interest it keeps them engaged mm -hmm. and you only ever go to the right level of information because once they've 
lost interest, they'll stop asking questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're I mean, you, you dial it down until you reach that sort of platform where I've got enough now to go make the decision. Because ultimately, when you're communicating, it's about, you know, in, at the end of the day, you want them to do something or, or they, they yeah. need to do something. And so you get to that level, go do that. And then they may come back, okay, I need more. Or, you know, in this case of you're designing your camera of gimbal thing on that one, you know, I need pictures to show me your, <laughs> all, all, you know, the candid stuff it's in. And, and so then I can find out a little bit more, but, but it's just, it's an art. And it's, I, I think like, you know, originally you didn't like it. it. It it took energy away from you to go ahead and do this speaking and stuff. But now you've found the value in it. You found the product at the end of it. And now it give, sounds like to me like it gives you energy going in and, and talking to these people. And, and ultimately it's sort of like this, this, this project that you sent off that you won't have the payoff for five years is that you can see them once they've taken the tools and all the engineering that you've given them, you can see the payoff and that they're successful and stuff then. And for me, that's the reward, and it sounds like it's pretty much you know along the same lines as you. Yeah, I, it always for me it always feels better <clears throat> if I'm involved in long-term engagements with companies because training people is fine, but it's great to bring people to a standard. Mm -hmm. But I rather liken it to learning the uh, violin. Say, if you wanted to learn the violin. It would not work well if we brought in a virtuoso violinist for two days and then said, get on with it. Mm -hmm. you, you have to help people grow. And if I have longer term engagements, mm -hmm. then I can see the progress and we can tweak it bit by bit as we go. And then I know people are using the techniques mm -hmm. regularly and it's working. If you have to go in and train people and you get two days to train them and then at the end you go away and you never hear from them again you never see if those techniques mm -hmm. are being used properly so longer and slower is always a better uh, route for me and in fact the lockdown and the use of zoom has helped me so much because it means you can do these short interjections mm -hmm. rather than one big day well and and i find and let me let me know if this is saying is that so you're dealing with two people. You give the same sort of advice and these other things. And based on, because ultimately you want to connect with who they are in the way that they speak or deliver things, but they can use some of the same tools. It's much like, you know, I bought this gimbal and then maybe I'll customize it to me. The functionality was a need, but, but I have a slightly different need than say you would. And so taking these same techniques, having this longer term engagement allows you to sort of, you know, hey, hey, are you getting it? Are you making it yours? Because I've tried, I've been guilty of this myself. I've told this story many times of, I went to this training class and and, and I try, I really like this, The I can appreciate the style of, I call him the professor. You know, he's got the tweed jacket with the elbow patches and just very reserved <laughs> and, 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 but that's not me, right? But I tried to emulate that and I was failing miserably, but there was some, I mean, there was some structure I took out of it. And, and, you know, I, is, is that some of the similar experiences you see with these longer term engagements? You can help tweak what they've gotten. Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately you shouldn't try to emulate anyone. What you need to be is yourself, but the best version of yourself that you can achieve. Mm -hmm. And for different people that happens in a different way. Certain people work well with one particular technique and that suits them. Others don't necessarily relate to it. And you have to find out what's natural to them, what feels good, so that you can help them polish what feels good. Mm 
rather than just have a standard method that everyone has to follow. Yeah, I I think I I find my like you I find my best joy in helping polish and and make the end product um, the best that it can be and look better rather than simply this is a great structural engineering sample, but you know it it, it it's not filling the need of everybody. You know, yeah, I can't customize that last little bit to make it truly fill that void that I have. No, that's right. And, and customizing is just great. And it's the, the, the way that you can work with a group mm-hmm. on a long-term basis by just seeing them for a shorter period, but spread out. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to learning theory and look at learning theory, the best learning theories are where they read a bit before, they learn a bit off the speaker or the lecturer then they go away and they use it in the workplace and then they come back and check in and tell you how they got on with it Mm -hmm. and then you can see if there are problems occurring and you can tweak the technique to suit them but you can't do that very well in a one-day training course or a two-day training course so with those longer sessions you get far more opportunity to understand how it's affecting them and their role in the workplace well, and a lot of times, especially when you're, say, you're engineering a new product or, the, or these, these space things, I'll use that as an example. A lot of times you don't know what questions to ask until you've sort of had it in your hands and played with it and done that for a bit. And that's what this longer term does. It, it teaches you, okay, these are the questions I need to answer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And And you will never see the problems in the design phase. It's only when you put things together. That's it for part one of the interview with Bob Ferguson. Check out episode two coming out next. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tech Story Podcast. And it would really be helpful if you'd go out to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast and rate it. You know, give it a five star because it helps other people find the podcast. It really raises the visibility and it would mean the world to me if you would do that. Mm-hmm.